Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore. My guest today is Tamana Patel. Tamana is the Director of Practice Improvement at the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. Tamana has experience coaching communities and applying adaptive strategies with a focus on building relationships and trust, capacity building opportunities, and long-term sustainability. Her particular interest includes addressing health equity and social determinants of health in rural communities. Today, we're going to be talking with Tamana about social justice leadership. So welcome. We're happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Good. Yeah, it seems like we have a really good topic today, a lot to discuss. So as we get started, can you just clarify for us what the difference is between social justice and equity, because I feel like we hear these words a lot and it would be nice to have a clear distinction between the two and also why they're important in addressing mental health. Yeah. So you're right. These are two words I think a lot of people use interchangeably. I do think that there is a distinction between the two. So I'll try my best to explain the difference, but it's also, they're both very connected, right? Equity is really about fairness giving people what they need to be as healthy as possible, right? Social justice, I think, is really about advocating and fighting for that fairness, particularly for historically oppressed and marginalized individuals, especially Black, Indigenous, other people of color who have been disproportionately faced with institutional discrimination and systemic racism. Right. And so to seek or advance equity is also about advancing social justice. I think these are key when we think about improving overall health outcomes or mental health outcomes, mental well being, right? Because we know that our outcomes, they're really determined by other factors outside of our control, right? It's not to say that our own behaviors don't contribute to our outcomes, they do, but there are a lot of other factors outside of our control that also impact our outcomes. That's the environment, access to care, community factors, societal factors. So all of these, in addition to our own behaviors, really drive our outcomes, right? But when we think about healthcare, mental health, substance use treatment, Traditional programming is often designed primarily towards our own behaviors, right? And so my suggestion is without considering the other factors, right, the environment, the community, societal factors, access, we're left somewhat lacking in our approach to really advance equity, to really address the disparities we see and the fundamental causes of these, right? And so this really requires us to look at it from that system's perspective. What is it that puts people at risk? And then how can we design policies, programs, systems really in response to those drivers? Right? And so if we look at those drivers, like what, what is it that drives the determinants I just described, right? Our behaviors, access to care, the environment, our community and societal factors, 
this is where we really see social inequities, right? And social inequities really matter more when we look at the determinants, particularly in shaping health disparities or the differences we see. Well said. So, so yeah, it's not just looking at the individual level or individual behaviors in isolation, but it's really looking at the larger picture, the bigger systems at play, considering culture, considering bias, considering systemic aspects of everything to really get a bigger picture of how to help people and systems, how to help systems as well. Yeah. 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 Well said. Okay. So how does one begin to help with this? How does one begin to affect change? Yeah. It's more complex than what I'm going to try to describe. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. But we have to address change. We have to affect change at multiple levels, at the interpersonal level, that is within oneself, the interpersonal level. So if we think about our relationships, our communication with and between people at the institutional level, right? So this could be within our organizations as well as the systems, right? Relating to the system or the whole part, which are these mechanisms that are really driving the distribution of power and resources, right? As well as our community, right? So I would say to really affect change, it has to occur at these five levels. And I don't think it's about addressing one at a time. You have to do it all, (laughs) right? And sometimes it feels like you're juggling multiple things all at once. And it's really hard to focus on all levels at one time. That's definitely not what I'm saying. I just think we have to be cognizant of what is it that we're trying to do to address change at these multiple levels. It's going to take that constant focus across the levels over a long period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you happen to have an example or maybe even a definition of each of those levels? Cause I like, as you're saying them, I'm like, yes, yes, this makes sense. But then I try and cohesively yeah. understand them. And I feel like examples would be a little more helpful. Yeah. So if we look at the interpersonal level, right, I said, it's really about the relationship with oneself, how this could look would be internalized racism or sexism or ageism or other forms of discrimination really directed towards oneself or any of our identity. Mm, Okay. Right. And so an example of this could be refusal to obtain mental health and substance use treatment until the very last moment, right. Um, Until a condition really worsens and it's due to distrust in providers, particularly in how certain populations have experienced discrimination and distrust on the healthcare system over generations, mm-hmm. right? That's how I would describe interpersonal. Intrapersonal, I mentioned this was really about our relationships, and our communication with people. And this really looks like discrimination and bias, implicit bias, right? Mm-hmm. So disbelieving a non-white patient's level of pain. And instead believing that they are just here to seek pain medication. Another way to envision this is calling the police to report people of color who are in white spaces, right? This is what I mean by interpersonal. Between people. Between people. Yeah. Okay. Organizational. So a lot of us relate to this. I see a lot of DEI efforts occurring widespread across organizations. This is really 
looking at redefining or refining an organization's values and their mission. This can look like promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion at all levels through all services. This can look like adopting person-first language guidelines, right? Policies, procedures that really support individuals that are being served. So flexible scheduling, right? Cancellation policies, if we look at treatment providers, right? Language access. This can also look like training opportunities, right? To really increase knowledge about the issues related to social, political, and structural determinants of health, right? Yeah. At the community level, here we see differential and resource allocation. So if we think about gentrification of neighborhoods, that is really associated with stripping of community resources. Which communities have long commute times, have multiple bus transfers just to reach a service provider? Where are the neighborhoods, where are the communities, where are the providers that lack telehealth or community-based mental health and substance use treatment services? in close proximity to marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes that, sense. Mm-hmm. And then when we really zoom out and look at the system, we see incarceration policies, right? We see lower quality of care provided to uninsured or public persons, right? people on public insurance. We see across sectors, predatory banking, quality of education, is definitely not equitable or fair across communities, right? That's that's how I would describe the system. Really, that was helpful. Thank you for breaking that down further. Yeah, it just creates a more cohesive picture of all these different places that need intervention. And I, I assume intervening at all these levels creates more long-term impact as opposed to more short-term or more short-sighted impact by not looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. What are your other thoughts as you think about affecting change at any of these levels? I mean, you know, what else comes to mind? So I think what we have seen, particularly in the last couple of years, which is positive, right? We see more organizations prioritizing DEI efforts internally within their organizations and really striving to make efforts in this direction. I would also offer that when we look across those multiple levels I just described, I wonder how much those policies can sustain. If, you know, oftentimes in in driving DEI efforts within organizations, you'll see most will look at hiring practices and, and things like that, right? And I think they're all needed. They're all so needed. I wonder how impactful these efforts can be without that focus on oneself also. I almost think that both are needed within the organization. Some like concerted effort and attention being paid to individuals doing the work themselves, right? To really maximize the impact of any these new procedures, things that get put in place as a result of the efforts, I think we as individuals have to start to change as well. And that really is going to require us to do some hard work on our own. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I'm reflecting on my graduate training because I had somewhat of a systems perspective and they had a lot of focus on our own individual biases and prejudices and just creating awareness around that, not only race, but also sexism, you know, just many of the isms. And yeah, it was really eye-opening for me because everybody has some, at least, if not a lot, right? And it's just ingrained in us. And it makes sense that if you're talking about people who are at the top making decisions for organizations or looking for disparities, if there's not some level of awareness at a personal level, a lot of things are going to get missed or misunderstood. So I think that's a very key point. Do you have recommendations for how people could start on that journey? I know that's yeah. such an unfair question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so broad, but it's yeah. so broad. And I mean, so, and, and I'll be honest because I'm on this journey myself, right. right? The listeners can't see me, but I, I am a U.S. born female of immigrant parents that moved to the United States in the late sixties from India. And my experience is different, right? And so I, I was late to the party and really understanding, oh crap, like I've got work I need to do. You know, I think I've always been the advocator, especially in advocating for what's right versus what's wrong. And for those that don't have opportunity, but I don't think I really understood it, like really understood how ingrained in our day-to-day our interactions at the grocery stores or within the community or in my schooling. Like, I don't think I really understood how I want to choose my words here, (laughs) how, um, how unfair everything was designed. Yeah. That I, I definitely come from privilege. I see myself as one that had opportunities definitely has privilege compared to many, but then I've also been on the other side of that too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think I think I've always kind of knew that this existed, right? Systemic inequities, racism, discrimination. I definitely knew it existed. I knew through what redlining practices, you know, the huge distinction between how we as a country decided to address the crack cocaine epidemic versus the opioid epidemic, right? But I didn't really think about my daily actions, my behaviors, my decisions. And how all of that played into everything Mm -hmm. until literally probably a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because earlier we were talking about like the bottom up approach of like interpersonal, intrapersonal, and then getting larger and larger. And then I think sometimes we become aware of DEI considerations the opposite way, like where we can recognize the systemic ones first, and then it gets real personal <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, which is good. It's good to wrestle with that and realize how pervasive everything is. But yeah. It just fits with what we're talking about. It flows both top down and bottom up and it's all relevant. And it's a lot of work to do all the time at all across all levels, you know? And I, I think I would say for anyone who just now coming into that awareness that I really came into a couple of years ago, it can be very overwhelming and sickening at the same time and feel very defeating. Um, and I think it's really just sitting with that and then slowly getting to the point 
okay, what, what can I, within my own sphere of control, what can I start to further examine and try to start to change? So I think the first step that we got, it took us a long time to get to your, your original question. About, That's okay. We're here. We made it. <laughs> yeah, we made it. I think the first thing is, is really coming to that awareness. And it's the mind-body connection. I always knew it in my head that these existed, right? That these problems existed, that this is the way that um, we've been conditioned. I've been conditioned my entire life. I needed it to connect in my gut. Mm. And I would say that's the first step, how I got there and what I would offer to others. To be honest, I started reading a lot. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking too. I was trying to think of how I started. I think it was education and awareness and curiosity. Yeah, Yeah. I believe the first book that really shattered my entire perception of my life up until now was strong recommendation for our (laughs) listeners right here (laughs) was, uh, was white fragility. I was thinking of that one as well. That was, that was a good read. Yeah. And then that opened, uh, my curiosity and I just kept reading and honestly, after that, it was because it, it is a little consuming and overwhelming as you're starting to take it in. Whether or not you believe the words that you read on the page, if anything, it's about it's sitting with it and just considering it as a perception, as an idea, as another way to see the world. Mm-hmm. And it can be very overwhelming. And so I started to kind of journal it out and really starting to pay attention to my day to day. What was Mm -hmm. I seeing? How was I observing things differently? And it really did change the way I started to interact and things that were happening. It's a big first place to start, but I do think it's a, it's a necessary place to start. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash BHT. That's hellotriad.com slash BHT. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. Yeah, I like how you're saying that because it doesn't have to start with a lot of action or intervention. It's really creating that awareness, which I think is true of most types of change. We have to become aware first of what's going on and where the problem areas are. And I I like how you're emphasizing too, it can be a lot. So I guess I'm hearing what you're not saying, which is it's okay to take time with it. It's okay to consider it academically first almost or intellectually first, but eventually it does need to reach your heart level and your gut level to make changes. 
but it's eye-opening once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And to anyone who is not there yet, that was not an easy place to be in on my journey. When I started to realize I cannot unsee any of this. And I think that that's okay too. Just know it can be a very uncomfortable place to be in point in time in your life when those shades come off and you're overstimulated. Yeah. So maybe it's okay to, to step away for a minute. Cause it's like anything else. We can't think about something 24 seven, although this yeah. is around 24 seven. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes it's okay to retreat into your community into your support system to put it down for a minute and then come back and wrestle with it again. Cause it can yeah. be, it's, it's a journey. Like you're saying you're on it. I'm on it. We're all on it to some degree. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So redirecting a little bit more back to your role and what you do day in and day out, tell us more about the Social Justice Leadership Academy. Yeah, so it's actually connected because Social Justice Leadership Academy actually stemmed from a leadership program that the National Council had for about 10 years, and it was called the Addressing Health Disparities Leadership Program. I was lucky enough to be accepted and be a participant in one of the cohorts of the Addressing Health Disparities program. And that was back in 2019. That was when my journey started, when the mind-body connection really started to take form for me. I think there were elements from that program that really started to pull away those shades, as well as the readings I had started to engage in before I started that program that year. And I was not with the National Council at that time. When I joined the National Council about two years ago, there was conversation about let's take HD a little bit further, right? And so we, in a sense, reshaped it, if you will, into the Social Justice Leadership Academy. And the Social Justice Leadership Academy is definitely near and dear to my heart. I, along with several colleagues, spent time really developing out the framework and the content for this leadership program. And the premise for it was to really help individuals go deeper, right? Really understand what's the impact of the injustices we see, of the inequities, and how complex it really is, right? Mm -hmm. To the extent that we can use a program like this to help other individuals get to that awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And start doing the work. That was the mindset we offered into developing up the Social Justice Leadership Academy, right? Because as more and more organizations are focused on DEI, we as individuals really need to understand the need for and the importance of dismantling the current systems and policies but also be able to turn inward, right? Through our own self-reflection. What's my role in creating and or facilitating these current systems or policies or normative structures, right? And then how do I understand it? Mm -hmm. And then how can I begin to affect that change across multiple levels? And so that was really the lens we applied in building out the Social Justice Leadership Academy in the last year and a half. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like the goal of the Social Justice Leadership Academy is to help people go on their their journey to see what needs to be changed and then affect that change in the community and systems at large. Is that is that accurate or would you want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, I think you're spot on, you know, and the other thing we're hoping to accomplish through this is, you know, the, the folks, the individuals that are participating in the Social Justice Leadership Academy, ultimately we see them as a community of ambassadors, right? Mm, I like that. That can really lead and sustain efforts to eliminate health disparities, to advance equity, right, among individuals that are at risk or are living with mental health or substance use challenges, mm. right? We see this community of ambassadors being able to lean on each other to continue their own growth, right? Because it, it's it's not going to be a 12-month curriculum and you're done. <laughs> you reach the other side, right? That would feel good, but that's not very accurate. <laughs> it's not going to be a five-year program either, right? This yeah. is this is a new way of being, right? Because we've got to unlearn almost everything we've been taught, right? And look at it a little bit differently. And that takes time and it's going to be an ongoing journey. And so we really see the community of ambassadors leaning on each other and continuing to grow with that additional support, right? We yeah. also see that community of ambassadors offering support to incoming people who are just starting their journey with SJLA. Right. So it's kind of like that peer to peer support. So we really hope in the long run, this, this builds a community of ambassadors to really start to drive change within mental health and substance use treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. What are some of the things that SJLA offers? Yeah. So in big picture, it's a, it's a multi-level knowledge and awareness applied curriculum to really support leaders in understanding equities and, and injustices, right? Currently, so I think late December, January 2022, the Social Justice Leadership Workbook came out. It is available on the National Council's website for purchase. For bulk purchases, just shoot us an email and we'll talk you through how to do that. But that workbook we developed and it's really available for self-directed, self-paced individual work. It's all about the individual level. Now, this does not mean that organizations themselves cannot purchase these workbooks or that groups cannot work through the workbooks together, but it's designed for individuals to work through it. And we did offer suggestions on if you're doing this with a group, here's what you need to do on your own before you get together and have conversations. Mm -hmm. And so that workbook really addresses the foundation, the theories, the models of systemic inequities and injustices to really ground us in how did we get here, right? And the workbook also provides tools and resources for individuals to do that self-reflective work at their own pace. Okay. And so that is one thing that's available. It's also really exciting to share probably a day late (laughs) this conversation. But the second offering for the SJLA just launched yesterday. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and that is a 12-month learning series. The 12-month learning series kicked off yesterday. It's going to go monthly for the next 12 months. We've identified a host of subject matter experts and other folks that have been in this field, been in this work for some time. There will be opportunities every month. So say we're talking about about really diving into the systemic inequities within mental health and substance use treatment care, right? Mm -hmm. 
then there's an opportunity to take that information from the subject matter expert. And we've designed what we call leaving and action activities, because this again goes back to how do we apply, how do we digest the information we're receiving and how do we identify it in our own world, right? Yep, yeah. And so it's it's a learning series because it's coupled with, yes, you're gonna be hearing from experts and subject matter expertise on a monthly basis, but we're carving out opportunities for you to take that information and do, and do some work on your own, right? Before the next month, we all come back together mm-hmm. and go on to the next topic, right? And so it's a learning journey that we are piloting for the next 12 months really stemming from some of the foundational topics that we begin to mention in the workbook. That's great. That's really, really interesting. And it's free. It's free. I was going to ask. Okay, (laughs) good. Free is good. We like free. I should have led with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anything free is usually good. Okay. I'm wondering where individuals should be at on their journey would be a good fit for each of these programs, like the work book versus the workshop. If somebody's just getting started, what do you recommend versus someone who's a little farther down that road? I would say it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm thinking about my own journey and why I gave that response mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because, because I had a lot of the knowledge coming in, but I didn't have the tools or was given the space to unpack it and really understand what that looked like in my world, in my sphere of influence, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, I think it can be for anyone, no matter where you are in your journey. I do think that there's probably something for everyone. I also don't want folks who, who might be new to, to digging into this or uncomfortable. It's for everyone. We're really trying to create that learning environment for everyone. It's in a very non-judgmental, very open way, understanding that everybody is at a different place in that journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Cause I think we can learn a lot in self-reflection, but also some things just come to light and you can wrestle with them differently if you're in a group or with other people who see it differently. So that's good to know a lot of different angles to come at this with. Yeah. And so yeah. there's, there's going to be monthly webinars. Sometimes we add in extra office hours with the the experts, right? So after the webinar, if you want to sit with the information, there might be a office hours that month that then you can call into and just ask questions and kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the things that were mentioned on the webinar with the subject matter expert. There's always going to be an applied activity every month not to do as a group or to share back with anybody, but for yourself, Mm -hmm. right. To kind of chart your own path. So yeah, I will definitely make sure you all have the schedule. Yes. We will um, put that in our show notes. So as we're kind of winding down, how would you summarize what you're hoping people get from the social justice leadership program? What is it that you're hoping people walk away from that program with? That we all need to change and we all can change and we all have a role Mm. in affecting change. That's good. You could make that into like a bumper sticker or a tattoo (laughs) or something. That was very concise (laughs) and very powerful. It's true. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, going back to earlier, you know, how we started the conversation and how change happens across multiple levels. And, you know, I think a lot of others will say, but we really need that systemic change. We really need those changes at the policy level. And I agree with it wholeheartedly. Who creates those uh-huh. changes in policies and systems? It's individuals. It's people. Yeah. It's people, right? And so- yeah. If we don't really understand it ourselves, yeah, right. Even if you are well versed in this, right, I still think that we always have learning to do around this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, it really is that integration of not just focusing on the larger picture and the systems, but balancing that out with the very personal and the combination of all of the in between as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really powerful. Well, I know that we're going to include all of the links that you've mentioned and the schedule that you mentioned for the workshop in our show notes. Um, Also, just so our listeners know, you can go to the nationalcouncil.org to look around. There's so many different programs they offer and the social justice leadership program is in there as well. So that could be a good starting off point if you want more information. Well, Tamana, it has been so great to be with you today. I feel like we could keep talking about this for hours, but really appreciate your time and your insights. It's just been really nice to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And of course, as we're closing out, I have a million other things I would love to add to the conversation. (laughs) Do you want to leave us with anything that's top of mind? I do actually, because I don't want any of the listeners feel isolated by not specifically mentioning, yes, it is about historically oppressed and marginalized communities. But when we're thinking about our DEI efforts, think about just in terms of ableism, right? Mm-hmm. Able body versus those with a disability. I think about LGBTQ plus individuals, right? The other thing I often wonder and think about is what does this look like interculturally? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Good thought. And and that's just coming from personal experience. Right. And so for me, uh, us born versus born, born, but same culture, right. Are there complex dynamics at play? And then how does that manifest in the workplace and how might those be considered in organizations, DEI efforts? Mm. Right. So there's so many other ways and angles to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I'm really glad you took the time to mention that because that's so important. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting and I think needed conversation. So thank you for sharing your insight and resources. I'm hoping some of our listeners are, will, you know, use those resources. They sound really, really relevant, I think, and helpful. Well, I want to thank you, our listeners also for joining Tamana and me today. And as a reminder, all the resources for this show that we've mentioned and also all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. Check out our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT to explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thank you again for being with us. And we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.